Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing, good? Right on. Hey, listen, we are excited to be here in the Real Talk series. Yesterday, I went to the New Orleans Zoo. All right, first of all, how many guys have been to New Orleans Zoo? Anyone been there? Boy, what a terrible place that is, first of all. Uh, So I get this message from some of the guys in the church, and they're like, yo, listen, we're going to go to the zoo in New Orleans. My first question that entered my mind was, why on earth are we driving three hours to a zoo? Because there's one in Gulf Breeze. Now, I know, like, the giraffe's heads hang low and the lions are just always on their side. But anyway, like, I was just in my mind. I was like, why in the world are we driving to this zoo? But you know what? A bunch of people were going, and I loved everybody that was going. I was like, man, let's just go, you know? So we got in the car, and we drove to the zoo. And it didn't take me long to figure out this wasn't the average zoo, okay? This wasn't Gulf Breeze Zoo, by the way. We're walking, first of all, we had to park a mile away. Then we're walking up to where you have to get your tickets and there's 10 lanes where you can buy tickets. I'm like, what is this, Disney World? Like, what are we doing here? And there's people everywhere. And through, like, you know, you buy the tickets, but you can see into the, the, into the, the zoo or the park, right? So I'm looking through and it looks like Jurassic Park in this one. I'm like, where's the T-Rex? You know what I mean? Like, and so as we walk through the ticket booth and, we get through there and they say, do you want a map? Again, I'm thinking like, this is a zoo. There's one loop and you just go through it. You've seen all the animals. Then we can eat some Cajun food and go home. Come on somebody, right? Like, hey, come on. That's worth celebrating right there. Shoo. Anyway, so I was like, I don't know. I don't need a map, right? But as soon as we get in, it becomes very real to me. Like, wait a second. This, I need that map, because I need to know where all the food places are, all the drink places, <laughs> you know. And so we get into the zoo. All that I say, we get into the zoo, right? And we're walking around. And, and um, you know, again, the zoos I'm used to, 30-minute loop, we're done. You've seen all the monkeys and stuff and, you know, whatever. So we walk around and I'm like, oh, okay. So about an hour and a half in, we've only gone through about a third of the park. And I'm sitting here like, okay. And so someone comes to me and they go, uh, Brad, we're either going to go see the snakes. Nah, right? We're going to go see the snakes or the crocodiles. No. And so uh, in that, they were like, which one do you want to go see? I was like, uh, which one do I want to go see? I want to eat. What are we doing? And they said, well, we're going to go see the snakes and crocodiles. I said, you know what we need? We need a third option. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about a third option. Because here's the deal, folks. America has painted this picture that you either have to be on the left or the right. You either have to be on one side or the other. You either have to be for this person or against this person. You either have to be for racial unity and diversity unity. You either have to be for it or you have to be uh, connected to a party that is against it. You either have to be for your brother or you have to be against your brother. And can I tell you something today? That it is time that the church stands up and looks for a third option amongst what we are accomplishing here on this earth through the kingdom. Can I get an amen for that, right? So 
I was, Justin and I, Pastor Justin and I, we went to ARC this past week, and one of the speakers that spoke there, which is a pastor's conference, and one of the speakers that spoke there, his name was Miles McPherson, and he changed my life. <laughs> he, he preached a word um, that just, man, radically changed me, and he actually has a book coming out called The Third Option, and I think that every single one of you should get it because it is just awesome. So today, we're going to talk about justice. Turn your name and say Justice. And we're going to talk about the third option. That's right. Justice. Because here, let me tell you something. Justice is always greater than silence. I got nothing on that. Justice is always greater than silence. We had some people come to our church. They joined our church about, um, I don't know, six months ago maybe. Um, how many of you guys remember the Charlottesville thing that went down? Anybody remember that? Um, where the, we, had, we were dealing with racism in Virginia, I believe. Um, and so a lot of white supremacy groups were coming to the forefront um, and making their presence known, and they were rallying. Um, and in that moment, I knew as, at the time, I was not the lead pastor. However, at the time, we were already finishing up the three-year transition for me to become the lead pastor. And in that moment, I knew that not saying anything was going to speak louder than saying the right thing. And I knew that silence wasn't an option, but justice had to be. And so we posted a video to take a stand as a church. Um, why? Because when you look across the sanctuary, it's not all one race. We are uh, diverse, and I believe we are not the only church, but we are a church that represents what heaven is going to look like. And so I want you to put your hands together for your brothers and sisters of diversity in this house. We celebrate all of you today. So where better a series than to talk about this than the Real Talk series? So turn to your neighbor and say, Real Talk. Let's do it. The third option, Joshua 5, 13 and 14. That's uh, kind of where we're heading off this, uh, this series, or I'm sorry, this message. And it says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a, excuse me, with a drawn sword in his hand. As you can imagine, if you woke up in the middle of the night and someone was standing at your, the foot of your bed with a sword in his hand, I would freak out. You know what I mean? Like, what? wait a second. So anyway, with a sword in his hand, Joshua went to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? And here's what I want you to see. Most of us think in our mind, are you for us or are for you for them? And, and if we're not careful in our mind, we will create an us and them mentality that has destroyed the kingdom work for far too long. What does the angel say? He says, neither. He replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I'll turn to your neighbor and say, neither. So here's what I want you to, I want you to just kind of lock in today. I want you to get used to something. When someone comes to you and they say, hey, what political platform are you like 100% committed to? Turn to your neighbor and say, neither. Okay, when someone comes to you and says like, man, do you 100%, what, what, what party do you 100% support? Turn your neighbor and say, neither. Because here's the deal. We are living in a country, actually rewind, we are living in a world where sin still reigns. When Adam and Eve mess it up for all of us, speaking of, I think Adam's going to get it in the back alley of heaven somewhere. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, mess it up for everybody. But when sin entered this world, 
So did bias and racism and bigotry and everything else. And so we want to talk about it today. How do we get past it? Let's talk about justice. Can we do that today? All right, let's do it. Turn to your neighbor and say justice. There are four areas of focus for unity that we want to talk about today. These are not the only four areas of focus for unity. These are the four areas that I chose after praying. I really felt like the Lord said these are the four areas that we want to talk about. And so these are the four areas that for unity we have to recognize are important. All right? Are you with me? And I want you also to know I use the term brother, um, but this also references sisters as well. Okay, so uh, this references brothers and sisters, but we're going to use the term brothers today. So the areas of focus for unity, number one, the very first one is the image of my brother. The image of my brother. One of the things Miles McPherson said, and we're going to talk about it again in the weeks to come, is that you need to change your wording that every person you come in contact with is now your brother or your sister. Because if you do not commit to the fact that every person you come in contact with is a brother or a sister, you have automatically given yourself permission not to love them. And so when I, if every person is my brother, no matter what they look like, no matter what class they're in, because we don't have to just stop with racism, we can talk about classism, we can talk about generational differences. Like, every, we have to recognize that every person, regardless of their color or their age or where they come from or their income, is my brother. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're my brother. Unless it's a woman, now it's weird, all right? Like, <laughs> you're my, you know what, we're not going there. No, I'm just kidding. So that's a whole different real talk message. Anyway, so the image of my brother, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, then, then God said, this is important, guys. This is important because this is the basis for this whole conversation. Then God said, let us make, say this word with me. Mankind, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God created mankind in his image, not a particular man in his image. And since I have, or since I know that mankind, regardless of whether someone may be Hispanic or maybe they be Asian or maybe uh, they may be white or they may be black, whatever, whatever their race is, I see that they were designed specifically by God the way that they are, and we are to celebrate how they are, not expect them to assimilate to how we see them. And so we have to recognize that our responsibility, I love Miles McPherson said this quote, and I thought it was like straight fire. He says, the image of God has the ability and responsibility to acknowledge itself in other people. I used to ride motorcycles. Any motorcycle riders in here? Motorcycle riders in here? So there's a, there's a communal concept behind riding a motorcycle. And when, if a motorcycle, if two motorcycle riders ever pass each other on the road, you'll see one of these numbers. And all, it's, a, it's a slight gesture. Most people have no idea that it's there unless, you've, unless you're a motorcycle rider. Then you catch it, right? But it's a, it's a subtle yet necessary hand gesture to just let you know, I see you. We in the body of Christ have the responsibility to value other people 
by recognizing that God created them exactly how they are. And the image of God that gives me value requires me to recognize that same value in the other people that I see. Listen to me. Not because of their political party affiliation, not because of the color of their skin, not because of the income that they have in their bank account, but strictly because they stand before me as a creation by the all-living God. My responsibility is to recognize God in them, that he designed them as I stand designed by God. So what I want to encourage us to do is that we have to see the image of my brother because the image of my brother is the image that God specifically designed for my brother. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's your image. Look back at him and say, you're designed by God. We have to and we must see. Because here's the thing, we're going to get into this later on in our next one. This is going to be a part one, part two message, by the way. We have to get past the idea. Here's one thing that bothers me. And I've only heard it out of white people. So white people, please help me with this. Stop saying that you're colorblind. Because if you say you're colorblind, which color did you not see? Y'all ain't getting it yet. There's so many jokes that went through my mind right then, but I'm holding them all back. <laughs> if I say I'm colorblind, by default, I have made that person something in my mind. What have I made them? Did I make them like me or did I make them like them? Let it sink in, right? No, we appreciate and we celebrate. And I can't speak for every church in the South, but I can tell you that at Transformation Church, we appreciate and we celebrate every single person that walks in this door exactly how they are because God specifically designed them to be the person that they are and we celebrate them. Next area of focus for my unity. So before we can do anything else, we have to recognize that the image of my brother has been given to them by God and my sister. Sisters? Anyway, so the image has been given by God. Next is the love of my brother. The love of my brother. Turn to your neighbor and say love. The love of my brother. For me to genuinely celebrate my brother requires me to genuinely love my brother. Because here's the thing. Sympathy doesn't require love, but empathy does. In other words, for me to be sympathetic with where someone's at in their life, that doesn't require love. You can be sympathetic and arrogant at the same time. Like, ooh, I feel sorry for them. But you can't be empathetic. You can't put yourself into their world without loving them. And so sympathy doesn't require love, but empathy does. 
And if you love the person that walks in the door at TC, if you love the person in the supermarket, if you love the person on your job that may look different than you or have a different income than you or, or be because, again, this is, we're talking about justice, but can I tell you something that justice does, it, it is divided by more than just race. It is divided by class. It is divided by generations. And so we have to recognize that it is a necessity that number one, we call out the image of God in every person that we come in contact with because then we're going to have to love every person we come in contact with and if we do not love every person that we come in contact with how can we possibly lead them to Christ how could we care enough to introduce them to the gospel of a living God who died on the cross for them if we do not love them enough to see past the very thing that separates them from us Jesus will not use us to transform their life if we do not love them enough to see past the color of the skin or the numbers in their bank account now I know y'all didn't sign up for this today but you're already here. And if you get up, I'm going to call you. No, I'm just kidding. Can we acknowledge the fact that love is a, necessary, is a necessary step in reaching every single people group for Jesus? So there's the love of my brother. John 13, 35 says this. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35 says, by this, turn your neighbor and say, by this. What is this that it is by? Love. So by this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is the key characteristic of the world knowing that we belong to Jesus it is not the car we drive. It is not the church that we go to. It is the love that is in our heart to see other people's lives transformed by the goodness of who Jesus is. Your love for one another shows the world that Jesus is in control of your life. Self-reflection moment. Do you love other people? Now, I didn't say do you like other people. There are some people I do not care to be around. I love them. I just don't want to hang out with them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They fall into two key categories. Vegetarians. <laughs> and marathon runners. We don't have nothing to talk about, man. We don't need to hang out. But I love y'all, okay? I, I do love all of you. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Like, our love for one another is going to show the world that Jesus is alive in us. All right? Let's keep going. The third part that I want you to see today, so there's the love of my brother. Or there's the image of my brother, there's the love of my brother, then there's the, there's the keeper of my brother. And I think this is where we start to get into the truth of justice, particularly in this nation. Your silence on issues that don't affect you speak louder than if you had said the wrong thing. And we, as believers, have got to start using not just our voice, but our actions to speak on behalf of those that injustice is affecting. I said we have to. Turn to your neighbor and say we have to. And this time I want you to look at your neighbor, but I want you to mean it. We have to. We are the keeper of my brother. Genesis 4.9 says this. Well, let me, let me give you the background on Genesis 4 real quick. So Cain and Abel are sons, and they come, 
And so Abel, uh, Abel goes and he, Cain and Abel both bring an offering before the Lord. But the Lord looks uh, at Abel and he looks at his offering with favor. So he looks at Abel's offering and he, he blesses that. He says, I received that, I bless that. But he looks at Cain's offering and he curses it. And Cain becomes so angry that he then takes Abel out into the fields, the Bible says. And this is where we pick. Uh, and then he, he actually kills him. So Cain kills his brother Abel. And then this is where the Lord comes in. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Abel responded, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, first of all, parents, how many of y'all ever heard your kids smart off to you like that? I don't know. Where's the remote? I don't know. Do I always know where the remote is? I'm not supporting child abuse. I'm just saying. Like, I can see God being like, oh, oh, okay. But Cain looks, look, Cain looks to the Lord and says, am I my brother's keeper? Can I tell you something? Yes, you are. Yes, I am. That when I look at a community who is hurting and their hearts are being disrupted, that I have to take a step back and recognize that I am my brother's keeper. That when my brother hurts, I hurt. When my brother cries, I cry. I think about when I talk about Jabin sometimes. And when I talk about Jabin, and I am moved to tears over this boy that I love so much. The connection that you and I have oftentimes brings you to tears too. Why? Because you hurt when I hurt. Can I tell you something? We cannot look on a community of people who have been silenced by government structures and individual people and not hurt when they hurt and cry when they cry. You do not have to feel the literal pain that I feel when I look at my son who may be sick, but you can empathize because you can feel across the metaphorical line what I am going through and you can step into a world that you do not understand and say, I may not feel the same pain but I am with you and I love you enough to step into your world and feel it with you. And can I tell you something? We have to step into the people group's worlds that we may not understand and we may not get it and say, listen, I don't know why you're crying. It doesn't affect me the way it affects you. But can I tell you something? I want you to teach me what I'm missing so that I can feel what you feel. I can hurt when you hurt. I can cry when you cry, but we can figure out how to fix this together. We may not fix the country, we may not fix the world, but we can fix our community and make sure that when someone walks in the doors of Transformation Church, they are celebrated and loved and we are empathetic and sympathetic to recognize that when one hurts, we'll all hurt. When injustice reigns in one people group, then it reigns in all people groups because we are going to fix this in this house together. And so we have to step into a place where we hurt when our brothers hurt. Miles McPherson told the story, where the left-handers at? Any of y'all left-handers in here? Left-handers, where you at? Hey, listen, y'all have rights too. <laughs> but, uh, bah, okay? 
Some of y'all just got it. I heard the second wave of laughter click right there. And it's like, ah, oh, ha. So, um, but here, here's the deal. I was, Miles McPherson gave this analogy. I thought it was beautiful, so I had to steal it. Uh, Miles McPherson, if you ever watch this, man, we celebrate you today. You are a champion and a pillar for racial unity in this country. We celebrate you today. Um, but, man, it was so huge. He was talking. He's a lefty. I'm not a lefty, so I, don't, I, I, I can't connect, right? Um, all I know is I've had teachers that were lefty, and they smudged everything they wrote. Therefore, I didn't learn everything I should have. But it is what it is, right? So if you're a lefty, that's funny to you. So... Um, he was talking about how when he uh, was, uh, as he was being raised, that the country has been built for right-handed people. Literally, it is built for right-handed people. And so everything from the scissors that we use to the desks that we sit at in high school, like all you right-handers, you remember you sat down at the desk and the thing came around and then it came over here and you could sit your elbow and write? Our left-handed people were like, they're having to support themselves as like, why? Because it was built for a certain people group. And it, it doesn't mean that everything in place was built intentionally to hurt left-handed people. It was just built to support right-handed people. Listen, I'm not saying everything in this country that stands today is built to destroy minority people groups. I'm saying everything in this country that is built today was built to support majority people groups. And we have to recognize that a country was built with systems in place to support a people group of majority context. And it was built in some cases to pull down minority con minorities, but in some cases it was built ignoring them completely. But if we're going to fix that, we have to become our brother's keeper and speak to it with our mouth, but put actions to it with our hands to change what we see happening in our country. But again, we can't change everything outside these walls, but I can speak to what we'll do inside these walls, and we will celebrate diversity. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's celebrate. All right? So... Genesis 4, 9, the Lord said to Cain, he said, where's your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is absolutely you are. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are your brother's keeper. Let me tell you something. The, most recently, we had something pop up. It was a, a, a series of injustice and dealing with racial unity again in our country. The very first thing I did, I have two brothers in Christ that honestly... Um, when I'm weak, they sustain me. Like, they are my brothers. I love them. I would do anything for them. Um, Tyler Burns from New Dimensions, Pastor Tyler Burns from New Dimensions, Pastor Aaron James from Relevant Life Church. Um, these two men, I love them dearly. Both of them are black, African-American, um, and I love them dearly. Shout out to both of you guys. I love you. Um, when here recently we dealt with another, uh, another situation of injustice where it was abundantly clear that racism had stepped in um, and we saw prejudice take place on behalf of a police officer. The very first thing I did was I called both of them and I said, how are you doing? And both of them gave me mixed answers, angry, upset, sad, frustrated, you know, all those things. And I said, what can I do? 
And they said, be a voice and put action to your words. Don't just let this slide under the rug again. And I said, absolutely. Now, I, I also called a couple white people. Do we have to use the word Caucasian? That's so weird to me. I don't even know. Like, I called a couple of my white brothers and said, hey, are you guys aware of this? They said, we don't even know what you're talking about. And it was then that the moment clicked for me that in many cases, not in every case, but in many cases, we are so disconnected from what is happening to brothers and sisters that we say we love that we can't be a voice because we're disconnected from the community. So as your brother's keeper, here's one, there's a number of solutions and we're going to bring a lot more of them in part two. One of the solutions that I want to encourage you to walk out, if we say we want to do this together, is I encourage you to connect with, celebrate, and do life with someone that is a different race than you. Here's one thing that I want to encourage you though. I also want to encourage my minority brothers and sisters to do this as well. Because many of you, are, because all of you are sitting at a metaphorical left-handed desk, your desire or your un, maybe your intention is going to be to wait for one of your white brothers and sisters to come to you, whether you're African-American, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're Asian, whatever your descent is, you're going to be waiting. Can I encourage you, do not wait on your heels for this relationship, but proactively seek it out yourself. Because I can, t- I can tell you that although all of us would love to connect the dots, that some of us may not be as proactive as others, but every single person that is in the majority context and in America that is white, every single one of them needs someone uh, of the minority, whether it's African-American, whether it's Hispanic, whether it's Asian, they need that person speaking into their life and helping them understand what they do not see. Because I'm not going to lie to you. The first time I sat down with Aaron and Tyler, this craziness had gone on. And I even looked at them and I was like, why are y'all so upset? Because it didn't affect me. And some of you may be sitting in here today going, we used a whole Sunday morning for this. It doesn't affect me. If you are your brother's keeper, it absolutely affects you. And if you love your church, then it 100% affects you. Because when we all hurt, we all hurt. When one is broken because of injustice, then we all hurt. We have to speak up over injustice. Let's keep going. I'm a firm believer that God's removal, we, first of all, we have to get rid of the phrase, we need to get, we need like make America great again, and I'm, this isn't a political statement. This is a movement statement. Okay, so do not do not connect this to the Republican Party. That is not my intent. I am pointing out a flaw in a phrase. Okay, the idea that we need to make America great again is a flawed statement because again suggests that it was great before, and somehow we've messed it all up. It was never great from the context of how all people were treated. Do I believe that America is a great nation? Yes. Do I believe? It has been great to everyone? No. And so the idea that we need to get back to something that was awesome means that it was always something awesome for every single person. That is not the case. Here's what I will tell you. We need to make America great. And we need to do that through unity. 
But I believe there are two reasons why we need to recognize this. And, and, and these, are, these are both huge and they're also both controversial. Two reasons why I believe God's, God's hand of favor has been removed from the United States. The first one is abortion. And the second one is our history with racism in this country. I believe both of those things have brought, and if you have had an abortion, maybe that has impacted your life. This is not meant to condemn you, but we also have to shine the light on things in our country that need to change. And there are two areas where I believe God's hand of favor has been removed. But I want to quickly go through this because there's somewhere I want to get to. Genesis 4, 10 through 12 says this, and it's in your notes. It'll pop up on the TV. It says, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen. So this is God talking to Cain again about Abel. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on earth. Can I tell you something? One of the reasons why I believe that America is having to work so hard, one of the reasons why I believe that we in this country are having to work harder than we've ever had to work before, one of the reasons why I believe that God's hand of favor is being removed from this country is because both our African-American brothers and sisters' blood cries from the ground of the days of slavery that we have yet to to make recompense for and apologize for in the truest context and that the blood of babies that have been murdered in the womb of their mother cries out to the Lord. And if we as Americans do not step into a place to both apologize and move to a place of recompense for those things, we will continue to walk outside of the favor of the Lord. Now, I know we don't hear a lot of that, but can I tell you something? Jesus, God's hand of favor is going to come. And again, I cannot speak for America, but I can speak for TC when I say that we are currently making strides and will continue to make strides to see that the blood that has been shed on behalf of injustice in every context will be both apologized for, but also be represented as something that we will never go back to as we celebrate each other in unity. Can we celebrate one more time? Put your hands together for all those, your brothers and sisters. Let's keep moving. Exodus 2.12, I'm not gonna read it for time, but I, I wanna note it, it's on your notes. We see that Moses comes, and when Moses comes, he um, is caring for, he, he's a Israelite, he's a Jewish person who has been raised under the Egyptians, uh, and we will get more into the weeds of this story in part two. He's raised under the Egyptians, but he looks out and sees one day one of the Egyptians uh, abusing and beating one of his fellow Israelites. And he goes down and he actually kills the man. Now, I'm not telling you to go start taking people's lives. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. This <laughs> not that kind of church. But... He goes and he kills him, stops him from hurting one another, uh, one of his people. And can I tell you something? This brings me to a point that I want to make for you, that uh, you are responsible to leverage your privilege. So if you are a person in the position of privilege, and I want to take this beyond race for just a second. If you are a person that God has blessed with wealth, then you have to use your privilege to take a stand against those who have been put into an injustice 
in regards to their income. And so if you are a person of privilege in regards to the majority context of your race, then you have to leverage your privilege to take a stand against the injustice of those who do not look like you. We have to take a stand against injustice. I wanna give you this story and then we'll wrap this up. <clears throat> In, uh, during the Nazi concentration camps in Germany, they were taking, many of you know, all of you should know that they were taking Jews and they were killing them. But in many contexts, they were taking them and they were putting them on trains and they were driving them to concentration camps. And as they did that, many train tracks went through open plains, oftentimes right next to churches. And as the train full of Jewish people being sent by the Nazi government were driving past these churches, you would hear the cries of Jewish people coming from the train, screaming for help and asking that someone would come out of their church and help them. At that time, the pastors and worshipers and church people who were in the buildings, they did not leave their seats, but they sang louder to drown out the cries of the injustice that was taking place to a particular people group. God never let that happen again, both to our Jewish brothers and sisters, but to our African-American brothers and sisters, to our Native American brothers and sisters, to our Hispanic brothers and sisters, to our Asian brothers and sisters, or even in other contexts, to our, any white brothers and sisters in other countries, anyone that where they are the minority, may we never be silent again, but more importantly, may we never preach the gospel louder and worship Jesus louder so that we can drown out the cries of those we don't understand or cannot hear. I wrote this down. I want you guys to have it. Any attempt, because this is what we see in the church. Well, you know, this is a sin problem and what we need to do is just worship the Lord more and he's gonna fix it for us. Yes, this is a sin problem, but it's also a people problem. And we need to do something about it ourselves. Any attempt to worship Jesus and preach Jesus louder in the face of injustice for the purpose of drowning out the voice of injustice is in fact injustice. Which brings me to my last point, we'll wrap this up. It's the eternity of my brother. I have to recognize the image of my brother that God has shaped him and built him specifically as he is. And I cannot wait for part two of this because part two is gonna be to me a lot more celebratory than instruction. How many guys, how many, how many, first of all, how many guys are gonna come, we'll promise you you're gonna come back for part two of this because we wanna celebrate each other in an appropriate way. So man, we want all of you to join us for part two, but we need to celebrate the image of our brother. We need to love our brother. 
We need to recognize that we are our brother's keeper and we need to become responsible for the eternity of my brother. Here's the deal, folks. You cannot care about and love the people that look different than you less than the people that look just like you. We have to recognize our responsibility to reach every single people group. Listen to me, folks. I do not care what they look like. I need to love them. I do not care what income they have. I need to take the gospel to them. My responsibility as a follower of Jesus, as a believer of Jesus Christ, my responsibility is to take the truth, the hope that Jesus is the way. Listen, we are temporary on this earth and the book of James says that our life here is but a vapor. And so yes, we need to connect the fact that we have to make a stand against injustice and we have to recognize that we need justice to step in and no longer create separations between us and our brothers and sisters of different colors and different classes and all of those things. But what we have to recognize and what we have to do in our life, in, in our life is love the people that look differently so much that we'll step past our differences and declare the good news of who Jesus is into their life, that he's still the hope. Yes, I can't change what that police officer did and I'm gonna be a voice for you as long as I live. But I wanna tell you about an eternity that's going to outweigh your time on this earth that listen, I will stand with you. I will cry with you. I will be sympathetic and empathetic with you and I love you. But I also need to tell you about a place where there are no more tears, where there is no more pain, where we do not have to connect ourselves to injustice any longer, but that there's an eternity that waits for me and it waits for you and it waits for every race. It, wa it waits for every nation of people where Jesus is going to be glorified constantly and where our eternity Eternity is gonna be brought into hope one last time as God radically brings us into the marvelous light, which is our eternity. It is our inheritance. It is where Jesus stands and he waits for us to sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we meet the creator of the universe and we celebrate our savior that went to the cross and we get to endure with everlasting life the love of Jesus. So do I recognize God's image in you? Yes. Do I love you enough to stand for you? Yes. Do I recognize my responsibility to be your keeper? Yes. But I will not stop there. We will be a church that preaches the hope of the eternity that is found in Jesus to every single person, no matter where they are in life, because we love you and God loves you. Can we celebrate one more time, put our hands together for all of our brothers and sisters today. We love you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We celebrate you today, Jesus. For without you, our sinful nature would reign and our bias and our bigotry, whether intentional or unintentional, would be at the forefront of our life constantly. But God, I pray that you show those who do not understand, you connect us with those who can help us understand. God, I pray that you break our hearts for our brothers and sisters whose hearts are broken. God, I pray that you help us recognize 
that there is literally 0.01% difference in the genetic makeup of me and anyone that looks different than me. And therefore, I want to love them all the more so. Because Jesus needs to change their life. God, you need to change their life just like you changed mine. If you're in this room, and I know this was a message that really did not center on the hope of Jesus today in reference to your personal eternity, but it certainly references to the hope of Jesus for mankind. And if you're in this room today and, and you say, Pastor, I, I, I hear what you're saying today, but what I also know is that I need something in me to change. I, I, need, uh, I need to walk down a different path. And, and here's what I want you to know today is the path that you need to walk down is the path that Jesus has already laid out for you. And he laid it out on the cross. You see, your sin separates you from God, just like mine did. But when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for it. And today, to be saved from the consequences of your sin only requires you to put your faith in Jesus that he's already paid for your sin. And today, maybe you're looking for a better life, but what I wanna introduce you to is the person that can give you eternal life. And today, if that's you, you say, Pastor, I want Jesus to take control and I wanna give my life to him. If that's you, I'm not gonna to come to you, I'm not gonna point you out, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I want to pray for you. And we wanna celebrate you today that Jesus is gonna become the Lord of your life. And if that's you, again, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just want you to raise your hand right where you sit. Pastor, I wanna give my life to Jesus today. I want him to take control. God bless you. I want Jesus to take control, Pastor. I wanna be saved. I want my sins to be paid for. I want to know him. If you're watching us online today and you say, that's me, Pastor. Here's what we're gonna do, church. We're going to we're gonna celebrate as we pray together. And in praying, this prayer doesn't make you saved, but believing in your heart is what makes you saved. But we wanna declare with our mouth through prayer what we are believing in our heart, and that is that we are putting our faith in Jesus today and that he is taking control. And so TC, let's pray this with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs, make me clean, make me pure, make me whole. I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you rose three days later through your life, through your death, and through your resurrection, I can be saved. So I wanna follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. TC, put all your hands together for those that prayed that. Man, we celebrate you.